Back in the day, I used to present a radio show on Yukon's Pugs Radio, and it was absolutely brilliant. Even though I'm not coming back to present the show for another series, what we thought we'd do is reissue all of the rip ticket shows that went out with me at the helm here on Talking Smith About Film, giving you lots of reviews that you've probably never heard before. Cooper with Black Eyes on Pulse Radio. This is, of course, the Rip Ticket Show with me, Jack Smith. It is an absolute delight to be back behind a microphone after what has arguably been a week of hell. You can tell by my voice I'm still not quite 100% there from this cold yet, but there are films to review, there are, there are movies to get to, and of course we've got the small matter of the, uh, the, uh, the best film-winning Roma to review later on this afternoon. We have three reviews for you all after the, uh, three reviews for you all this afternoon. Uh, so let's just get straight on with it. Now, this one has been out for a little while now. It's been out since the start of January. And I got around to seeing it a few weeks ago now. We were meant to review this last week, but uh, such is life. I couldn't. But this is a film about cinematic history and a side of cinematic history that we don't really get to see that often. You do not see many films about Laurel and Hardy, especially ones that add to the comedic value. And what director John S. Bird has tried to do with this particular take is tell the story of the final days of Laurel and Hardy. This is the trailer for Stan and Ollie. Quite a big British film, and it's been hanging around in the box office too. Here's the trailer. Camera set. Okay, back projection. Cue music. And action! Hollywood legends Mr. Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy arrived in Britain today as they embarked on a national tour. We're doing this while we're waiting for this new picture to come together. I'm going to make sure that this tour gets off on the right foot. There it is, the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> it's amazing that you two are still going strong, still using the same old material. Here they are. Such a wonderful reception, isn't it, Ida? It's okay. <laughs> Two double acts for the price of one. <laughs> Pretty empty last night. I guess people just don't want to see Laurel and Hardy anymore. I see them pushing you a little too hard, babe. You know, Stan. You could have said goodbye, Oliver, a long time ago. We had a good thing going, but you had this big chip on your shoulder because I did a picture with someone else. I couldn't sleep for days when they told me what you did. You're just a lazy ass who got lucky because you met me. Lucky to spend my life with a man who hides behind his typewriter? You betrayed me. Betrayed our friendship. You're hollow. You cannot go on stage again in your condition. I love you. But I won't stand by and watch this nutty tour put you in a wooden box. I should never have had us take this tour. I love him, Ida. You're not leaving, are you, Stan? The show must go on. <laughs> when you watch our movies, it was just the two of us. each other 
So, Stan and Ollie is a true story. It is basically telling the final days of Ollie and Hardy as they go out on a big UK tour in order to try and get one of their one of their last films funded and made. Uh, they attempt to reignite their careers as they embark on what would ultimately become the Swan Song, and this is a, this is a a film about these two going on this grueling tour around the country in order to appease audiences and take the same old material. They have big fallings out along the way. It's basically life on the road in the late 40s for, for a duo who were arguably the creme de la creme of, of cinema post-war. Uh, obviously, the execution of this film does leave a lot to be desired. I'll be going into a lot more detail about that in a minute, but... The performances, I'm going to make a point men- mentioning performances now, because we've got a clip here. It is John C. Riley and Steve Coogan playing Laurel and Hardy in this film, and they are fantastic. Do not get me wrong. Coogan, of course, was nominated for the BAFTA for, for lead actor uh, with this film, and understandably so. Having seen the film now, I can totally get why he got the nomination. Obviously, he lost out. Um, but I think this clip of the pair of them talking about their life and the regrets kind of tells you everything. Here's a clip. Would you do me a favor? Will you pull this blanket up on me? I just can't seem to get warm. My goodness, your hands are like ice. That better? Yes. So have you talked to Delphont? I spoke to him this morning. What did he say? Well, he he didn't know you were retiring, of course, but he asked me, since you were sick, if I wouldn't mind carrying on the show with somebody else. Who? An English comedian called Nobby Cook. Well, that makes sense. For the best, Dan. Maybe it is. Well, that's settled then. I'm retiring, and you're going on with a new partner. Hmm. Yes. That's it. The other night, uh, those things you said, did you mean them? No. Did you? No. So, well, I've talked over the end of the clip there, a bit of a fail on my part, but what this film is kind of basically... Uh, for director Jonas Bird, this has been a passion project. Now, this is a guy who directed 2013 Irvin Welsh adaptation film, quite a different sort of film to what the 
what he's got going on here and unfortunately he's more suited to that higher echelon of film considering the fact that the pacing is all over the shop it's a 90 minute film it could have done with a little bit more a little bit more content in terms of script from Jeff Pope there is a lot I could potentially say about this film but it's an, it was an awards contender so we're going to look at this based on filmmaking merit considering his body of work his the director's move to more PG style just doesn't suit the, the director at all sure some bits of the film are good some bits of the film are bad clocking in at a nice one hour 38 and well two hours if you include adverts and trailers that most of them play uh, some of Garland Hardy's most iconic skits are recreated in incredible detail for this film or you just need to look at the trailer and the visual style. There's a good gif going around on Twitter. They recreate a good chunk of Way Out West. And you've got this... Yeah, the pacing's okay. Jeff Pope turns in a relatively decent script. Room for improvement in terms of character development there. The one aspect I do really have to mention, because it's brilliant, is Laurie Rose's cinematography. Now... Laurie Rose is Ben Wheatley's go-to cinematographer. Knows how to turn in a film designed for the big screen. And the cinematography, it's good. It's good. That was the one bit of the film I was like, oh, they've put the effort in there. They've really put the effort in there. And plus, added to that, a score composed, conducted by Rolf Ken. I, I, it's been a while since I've had to think about this film. It, it feels forgettable. It, re- it feels forgettable, which is a shame. It was heavily promoted over the Christmas period as to being, oh, one of the big awards contenders. It opened the London Film Festival in October. It had all this prestige associated with it. The only prestige I can really grab are those performances. And I've mentioned uh, John C. Riley and Coogan. Both of them really do feel like they're Laurel and Hardy. The prosthetic design for John C. Riley, especially, is incredibly realistic they managed to get the likenesses down and sure well Coogan's accent does go a bit Alan Partridge at times yes it's not quite full American which is which is a shame that's my one complaint about Coogan's performance in that one is that he does slip back into English very briefly at times but the attention to detail for both of those lead roles is impeccable the comic timing the slapstick and bearing in mind I love a good bit of slapstick comedy and the slapstick is good the slapstick is good the mannerisms, the timing, and the dynamic is incredibly close to the real thing. You can't imitate it, you can't duplicate it, but it is very, very close. Supporting a is a cast that includes Rufus Jones, Danny Houston as Hal Roach, the producer who funded a lot of Laurel Hardy's films, and the guy who ultimately begins kind of the split, the downfall. Good to see him have a good little cameo in that. And playing the wives of Laurel Hardy are Shirley Henderson and Nina Ariander, respectively. Putting them all together knowing that this film has been nominated for several awards before she didn't quite win them, I can understand why it didn't win any awards because considering the high standard of the films that have come out this award season, especially doing a show a week after the BAFTAs, a week, if I'd have done this review a week, a week ago, I would have said, yeah, it's got not, not got a chance in hell of winning the BAFTAs, the performance has been that good this year. But put the whole thing together... And for fans of Laurel and Hardy's work, it's going to appease them all right. For people who want to see a very well-dramatised version of the last days of Laurel and Hardy, sure, this is, this is the perfect cup of tea for you. But outside of the film's core audience, I honestly don't know what to say. It's stuck around in the UK box office for a little while now. It is going to start dropping off. In fact, it has dropped out of the box office. We will do the full top ten in a little bit. 
but I I do this is basically primetime BBC One on a Sunday night it's that sort of film sure that isn't to say that the film is avoidable it is a solid film if you're into this sort of thing but I honestly I can't give this film any higher than a, than a mid-tier worth a watch uh, purely because of the work of Coogan and John C. Riley, those two are able to make this film come alive in a way that wouldn't have been traditionally expected. And that's a real shame, considering that there was a lot written about the film pre-release and a lot said about the film in the build-up to, to now, basically. So it's a real shame Stan and Ollie disappoint, disappoints me the way it did. And I'm kind of glad I didn't have to go into a full-on rant about it. It's not not the greatest film in the world, but it's still a pretty solid film regardless. So, Stan and Ollie, low, mid, worth a watch. Right, let's get some music on it. I'm still pretty much full of the flu. I've not had my usual cup of Earl Grey today, so I'm still feeling under the weather in that regard. There's a going to be a cup wasting for me after the show's done today, which is, which is pretty nice. Let's have a little bit of... The Cardigans um, from Romeo and Juliet, uh, the Baz Luhrmann version, which I feel is the best version to be committed to film. And believe me, I might actually write a big piece on the blog about this. After this, we'll be doing a film news rundown, sort of talking about the big big news of the week and also big developments in the Mary Queen of Scots saga. And it's good news. It's very good news. We will be back after this. This is, of course, the Rip Ticket Show on Pulse Radio. <laughs> The Fool by the Cardigans here on the Rip Ticket Show on Pulse Radio. It is coming up for 20 past one on this Friday afternoon. Oh, and believe me, it's going to be an effort for me to get through to two o'clock. But we will get there together. That is the important thing. We have a lot of film news to get through, of course. Uh, We're not going to address the BAFTAs too much in detail because I did a whole piece for my blog about it on Monday. I accidentally downed five litres of water during the shoot of that, but... The less said about that, the better. It is time, of course, for the elusive time of week where we uh, we run down the film news. Hit the music, folks. Let's do this. It's going to be fun with this, right? There we go. So, the important news coming out of the last two weeks. I mentioned a couple of weeks back how View Entertainment were in a big dispute with Universal over the box office terms to show Mary, Queen of Scots. I'm very glad to report that both parties came to an agreement last week. It is now showing at 43 of View cinemas, which is which is a win for customers across the country because, let's be honest, cinemas not showing films that people want want to see is bad. Uh, and it also means the Universe will get a nice, healthy cut in the box office revenue as well. I'm not too sure about the terms of the agreement but they're promoting Universal Films again which is a win for customers up and down the land so I'm, I'm happy about that in other news the Oscars announced on Monday or Tuesday I believe the four categories that are going to be presented during commercial breaks they include cinematography and editing the two most important parts of the film and bearing in mind I've been working with filmmakers myself for the last couple of weeks they're going to be shooting this film tomorrow. And to think that the Oscars are not going to honour two of the biggest categories in the world in live broadcast infuriates me a little bit. Uh, also, Brad Pitt and Peter Berg. Now, Pete Berg, director of Hancock and other big films, um, 
those two are going to direct a documentary on the lead singer of Soundgarden and the man who provided the title track for Casino Royale, Chris Cornell. And I know a lot of people are going to be very quite excited about that news, knowing that the career he had and knowing the music that he made. I mean, we've played You Know My Name quite a few times on the show now. It's a good song. He knows how to turn around a solid tune. So it's going to be good to see his life honoured in the way that it, that it has been. And BAFTA-wise, the favourite did take home seven of the 12 nominee, nominated uh, awards that it, that it was up for. Roma trailed with four wins from its nominated films, including Foreign Language, Cinematography and Best Film. And we will be reviewing that later on. Do not worry. Um, Controversy-wise, there was only one really big one, and that was the win for Rami Malek for Bohemian Rhapsody. Sure, I have mixed feelings about that, but I'm not going to bog you down with my thoughts on that. We're going to do a full awards breakdown after the Oscars uh, on our March 1st show. Check the date already. Uh, but long story short, that's week's, this week's film news, and I timed that beautifully. Last week I promised you all a cream of the streams sort of thing. Unfortunately, because of my ill health, I couldn't really do that. But we still have all of the assets ready to go, so let's let's review some films that you can't necessarily see in your local cinema, but you can necessarily see on on any anywhere else. Uh, and both of these films come from Netflix. And they've really upped their game in terms of the awards slate this year. We're going to begin with a film that 70 million people have watched. And I... Well, we're going to go into my thoughts on it in a couple of minutes' time, but we will begin with a film that's become a cultural movement. This is the trailer for Bird Box. It's story time. You know, when I was young, we had a boat. And every single summer we'd take it to the lake. And there was love. And there was family. And it was a wonderful time. We were just driving. Oh my God. And then she saw something. What's wrong with you? Ain't no virus or a chemical attack. It is real evil. If you see it, that takes on the form of your worst fears. Every contact we have had with the outside has brought us death. The one's coming for us. Is anyone there? Hello? We have a place. It's safe here. The fastest way to get here is by the river. The birds will warn you whenever those things are around. You're going on the trip. Never take off your blindfold. We will make it. You take this and you go. Please don't take my children. Open your eyes. No, 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 no. Open your eyes. Please don't take my children. 
is quite a unique little film in that it's not quite a horror, it's not quite science fiction but it is from the writer who adapted Arrival my 2016 film of the year for the big screen to give you a basic flavour of the plot of this film. Five years after an ominous unseen presence drives most of society to suicide. A mother Sandra Bullock and her two children which are referred to as boy and girl. We don't really get much in terms of character and to say why would spoil a bit of the film. Uh, they make a desperate bid to reach safety. Now, if you're wondering whether you've heard this sort of film before, you're thinking, oh, it sounds a bit like A Quiet Place. Well, this film went into production before A Quiet Place came out, so all accusations of plagiarism are off the table. But where this kind of differs in A Quiet Place is you don't have Emily Blunt, you have Sandra Bullock, who, well... Just listen to this clip from the opening of the film. We've deliberately picked a clip from the opening of the film because we do not want to spoil too much. Here is a clip. Listen to me. I'm only going to say this once. We are going on the trip now. It's going to be rough. It's going to feel like it's going on for a long time, so it's going to be hard to stay alert. It's going to be even harder to be quiet, but you have to do both. You have to do every single thing I say, or we will not make it. Understand? Under no circumstance are you allowed to take off your blindfold. You must listen as closely as you can. If you hear something in the woods, you tell me. If you hear something in the water, you tell me. Do you understand? So that little bit from the opening of the film kind of gives you the idea about how the blindfold element of the film came about. And of course, we don't endorse that sort of thing here at Pulse, obviously. Um, Netflix have received quite a bit of attention purely and simply because of the runaway success of this film. We've and Suzanne Beer, who's wanted to direct something like this for a very long time, with someone like that at the helm, this is arguably the streaming service's biggest original film to date. It's just a shame that it feels so derivative and boring. Uh, do not get me wrong. Beer does a very good job at directing this film. It's coming in at a nice two hours, five minutes, which... Pretty good. Pretty good, right? Some bits do work in terms of pacing. Other bits fall about as flat as a pancake that's been run over by a monster truck. Isn't to say the film is awful. No, it's not. You can, anything that Netflix seems to put out lately, and we'll get to a big Netflix film in a minute, it, it could have been executed a little bit better. Working to a script from Eric Heisler, who adapted um, the Ted Chiang novel Story of Your Life, turned it into a rival. He's worked again with Josh Malaman to adapt the novel Bird Box, the novel of the same name, to create some, something for the big screen. Not quite as good as the source material, but it might have been... Yeah, we've, we've seen this done so many times before. It just feels like it... It came around at the wrong time. People were saying, oh, Bird Box is going to win a, an award for this. It was like, no, it's not. It's not. It came out too late to qualify for awards anyway. It got it open by December, by, by December 10th, I think, to qualify for the awards. But technically, this film is sound. Salvatore Titino, 
great work behind the camera very luscious very 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 open very vivid in terms of the landscape designed for 4k um, it would it would look right at home on a cinema screen, and I am aware it did get a very limited cinema run to qualify it for the Oscars back over in the states. So it has been shown in cinemas, and I would have loved to have seen it, seen it on a big screen. But it is a it, it's an okay film, and also you got Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, the guys who provided the soundscapes for the Social Network. Uh, making the music for the film and again it's very sound design driven not the sort of thing I expect in a film but it, it, do, it does the job it's like a can of paint it does what it says on the tin with the performances though you've got this great cast that even with the limitations of the script and the source material are able to put in some incredible performances I don't really need to talk about Sandra Bullock she she can put in incredible work no matter where she is. Same with Sarah Paulson's character in this one. She's had an incredible run of late. Of course, she popped up in Glass, um, and she also she's in this one as well. Uh, there's a more minor character for a change. But you've got Trevante Rhodes, John Malkovich, uh, Lil Ray Howery from Guess Out, Tom Hollander, not Tom Holland, Spider-Man, and oh, Machine Gun Kelly, credited under his real name of Colson Baker. So there is, there, there is a performance for everyone here. This is one of the elements of the film that is able to surpass all the technical difficulties that the film had and sure I couldn't really get into engaged into the film as a lot of people have been and I was sat there watching the film over Christmas thinking yeah it's a it's a decent film nothing more nothing less I would much rather watch show dogs blindfolded than watch his film again and anyone who's read my blog and knows of my history with, with the film Show Dogs will know that uh, that's actually a pretty good compliment. Um, Bird Box has had a, a lot of attention because of that performance, and understandably so. I can get I can get behind it, but because of the nature of the film, because we've seen it all before, right? Again, it's it's a shame I can't give this any higher of a rating. But it is a it's a me well, it's a high end worth a watch. It's a high end worth a watch. If you are into your if you are into that sort of thing, go ahead and watch it. But there is a lot of films to watch over the next couple of weeks, and there's a lot coming out because it is a half term holiday. And believe me, my my work in a cinema next week is going to be brutal. Monday in particular, and we'll talk a bit about that because they're going to be the next rip ticket reviews for the next time we're together. But Bird Box. It's a high-end worth a watch. And continuing the theme of new stuff, because I've got some new music on the system today, uh, let's have, as we get ever closer to Avengers Endgame, uh, I think we'll have a little bit of the credits music from Captain America Civil War. Alt-J provided the uh, the track Left Hand Free for the Civil War soundtrack. It was the music that introduced Spider-Man to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a solid tune. And we're going to play it. Coming up on Rip Ticket in the next half hour, reviews of Roma. We've got our TV movie of the week. And, of course, we have our box office top ten to get through as well. This is, of course, the Rip Ticket Show on Pulse Radio. We will be back after this. Ain't shady, baby, I'm hot like the prodigal sun. Bigger battle, any mini money, more and flower. You're the chosen one.
Show on Pulse Radio. Now, let's get a very important part of our little programme out of the way. It's time to talk about some of the best films on free-to-air television this weekend. It is TV Movie of the Week time. My recommendation this week, it's on tonight. It's on tonight at 5 past 11 on BBC Two. It is the Jake Gyllenhaal masterpiece that is Nightcrawler. A little bit of a history fact for you guys. I studied that film in a galaxy far, far away many years ago. I fell in love with it. I've watched it several times. And for those of you doing a film and media degree, especially a module surrounding media ethics, very good sort of indication as to the sort of things you're going to be studying. As for the film itself, it's brilliant. If you like your sort of high-stakes action thriller with a lot of morals to it, it's a brilliant film. And also... It was the very first mystery film night at a certain cinema. So that tells you everything. The fact that they bestowed that unseen privilege on that film when it came out in 2014 is a good sign. But yeah, Nightcrawler is my TV movie of the week. It's on tonight, BBC Two, five past eleven. But from old stuff to new stuff, it is time to talk about what's hot and what's not at the UK box office and... We have brand new-ish music for it. Hit it. So, at ten this week is Kenneth Branagh's brand new Shakespeare film, All Is True. I've not had a chance to watch it yet. Early reviews have been quite promising. The reviews have been mixed, but uh, it's it's done well. At nine is Mary Poppins Returns. It's hung around for eight weeks now. It's had an incredible run, and it's only just starting to drop off in the, in the last couple of weeks. At seven, at eight, is Vice. Pretty solid film. I'm glad it's hanging around, although I'm a little bit worried about how far it's dropping. At seven is a brand new entry. Escape Room, horror film, not watched it. Reviews quite middling from what I've seen. Audiences have responded well to it, though, which is good. 
at six. With the added bonus of 43 extra sites showing it is Mary Queen of Scots. Yes, still hanging around in the top ten after all of this time and all of the controversy it's been through. I'm, I'm just glad. I'm not going to get have a chance to watch it now, but, but still, it's going to be good. Uh, at five is Glass. It's officially Shyamalan's best effort in the UK in terms of the box office revenue, so he'll be happy about that. At four is Green Book. I'm happy with how it's done. And coming into the top three, we have How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. I've not seen it. But the reviews have been very, 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 very good indeed. And kids are loving it. The kids are loving it. Which is which is what DreamWorks want. At two is Alita Battle Angel. Robert Rodriguez is brand new big 3D film. And we have a new UK box office number one. I'll be watching it on Monday. I'll be reviewing it on the next Rip Ticket show. And everything is awesome. Your new UK box office number one is the Lego Movie 2, the second part. And I'm actually pretty excited to watch it. Uh, we will be reviewing that ne- on our next Rip Ticket show, whether it's next week or the week after, we don't know. But that is a basic flavour of what the box office is like in the UK at the minute. And from that, it is now time to talk about a film which was the talk of the town on Sunday night, with four BAFTA wins to its name, with so- with Oscar hopes clawing away. It's time to inject a little bit of foreign cinema into the Rip Ticket show, and this is something I've been wanting to do for a very long time now. Alfonso Cuaron. All I need to do is say his name and I grin. He's had an incredible body of work, and... He's just come back from his little hiatus after taking a few years out after making Gravity, which was an impressive film that made use of 3D very well. He's back with a passion project, so a film that he's been wanting to make for a very long time, a, very, a film that's been very close to his heart, a film that only he could really tell having lived through the experiences himself. Of course, Netflix put money into it. It had a very limited cinema run in December, and it went wide on the streaming services in December. Uh, December 21st, so it was a really nice little Christmas treat. Of course, with the best film winning the bag, it is time to talk Roma. And we have a trailer that is, luckily, doesn't have too much Spanish in it. So, trying to translate stuff on the radio is difficult. Sure, I did GCSE Spanish many years ago, but my skills aren't that good. Here is a trailer. Unfortunately, we don't have a clip, so we're just going to get straight on with it. This is the trailer for the BAFTA winner for Best Film. And foreign language film and cinematography and a few other things. Roma.
Roma is the story of a year in the life of middle-class families made in Mexico City in the early 1970s. Now, of course, Cuaron lived through a lot of this himself. He wrote, uh, directed, acted as a cinematographer on the film, co-edited it, and it really does feel like his most personal film to date. And with the Oscar nominations, with the BAFTA wins and all of the big... What's the best word to describe it? All of the hype surrounding this film. There was a lot of expectation put upon it. And the fact that it did win Best Film, Best Direction, Foreign Language Film, uh, and and one more, which I can't remember for the life of me, um, on Sunday night, tells you everything. It is a very rare film that just comes out of nowhere. Sure, it wouldn't work in a mainstream cinema, but it is a film that really does get you thinking. Now, Kwan really did put a lot of thought into this film. Uh, taking the inspiration from the experiences and problems he witnessed in his youth, he's able to create this very unique depiction of 1970s Mexico that feels incredibly truthful. Sure, it might be shot in black and white. Sure, it might be very... Uh, don't let the subtitles phase you. That's the, that's the best advice I can give. It has a profound emotional payoff at the end of the two-hour, 15-minute running time. And there are moments that are genuinely heartfelt, moments that are truly shocking and kind of push the boundaries for what 15 certificates could get away with because before they changed the guidelines, bearing in mind. And moments that work regardless of whether you're watching this on a cinema screen with the Dolby Atmos, the 4K, the Quaron said is the best way to experience the film, or whether you're watching it on a much smaller screen. This film just is instantly taps into your emotions and is able to sort of deliver this kind of thing that you don't see often a film where not just performances but it's incredibly well thought out and just the production design alone it feels authentic it feels true don't let the subtitles bother you the difference in language is actually played in to the emotional payoff as well which is awesome there isn't much in terms of English language and sure if you are watching it it'll probably ask you to set up subtitles and all that sort of thing but it does bring me into the performance side of things this cast do not fail to impress sure they are relative unknowns here in England but yeah it's a priatio in her very first film role after being a teacher for many 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 years this gives you an idea of the sort of realism Quaron wanted to convey in this film, having an unknown play this role. It kind of reminds me of 2014 Celine Chiama film Girlhood, which I've seen quite a few years back now, getting unknown actors to come in and make these films feel believable. Of course, having a script that he's wanted to make for many years. It's, it's a good sign. And supporting Aprizio is Oscar nominee for supporting, uh, supporting actress Marina Di Tavira, you got Fernando Gradiaga, Jorge Antonio Guerrero, many others. But it's clear from the minute this film kicks in, sure, there's like five minutes of titles, five minutes of credits. But it is clear from the minute this film kicks in that everyone involved in the making and production of this film is dedicated to telling the story the way Quaron wanted to tell it. It feels like a logical return to his roots. It's a much smaller affair than Gravity. It's a much smaller budget, and it would have probably made its money back by now. Um, but it is a very logical return to his roots following the, the visceral experience that was Gravity. It's a much more confined sort of thing. Sure, it'd be good to see him do another Harry Potter kind of thing, because he did do Prisoner of Azkaban. But it is good to see an auteur filmmaker return to his roots and create a 
what could arguably be seen in many years' time as a classic. This is an incredibly powerful film, which works so well, both in and out of a cinema screen. The fact that Netflix picked this film up is a blessing, because it means more people can go out and watch this film. It has been everywhere, literally everywhere. I've not been able to escape from it. And if this awards run continues... Quaron will join the three amigos of Mexican cinema, which, if you don't know, they are him, Guillermo del Toro, and Alejandro González Iñárritu, the directors of Shape of Water and Birdman, respectively. And it'll be good to see Quaron join them in winning Oscars over the last five years, because, let's be honest, it's about time we got to see Quaron win more Oscars, especially with a film like this. Gravity, sure, the CG, CG won the awards there, but it's good to see an actual heartfelt film that has good intentions go ahead and win the Oscar. Now, of course, advisory warning for those of you who are a bit cautious about this, this film is a 15 certificate for very good reason. And if you are a little bit worried, I do advise doing your research before you watch it. There are some scenes which are genuinely unsettling. So make sure you know what you're going into. I can't reveal what these scenes are because that would spoil a big, big, big bit of the film. But if you are going in to watch this film, I can honestly say, and I do not get to say this often, I I originally gave this film a four and a half star review for the blog. I've had a lot of time to think over this now. It is not just worth a watch. It is not just should be watched. It is not just go out and see it now. I can ha- I can honestly say now that it has got the BAFTAs in the bag and having talked about it at length with a few friends of mine, this is a masterpiece. This is honestly a masterpiece. Quaron just knows how to direct a film and do it well. So yes, Roma is the masterpiece that we were hoping for and I... I never thought that would happen. I never thought I'd ever get to say, oh, a film on a streaming service is a masterpiece. Considering I'm quite clean-cut and devout about going to the cinema to watch films. But Roma is the rare exception. I, I loved this film, and it is a brilliant return to form for Alfonso Cuaron. And I happen to time out pretty nicely. It is coming up for 10 to 2 on this Friday, the 15th February, the night after the universal celebration of love of films. Um, so, over the next couple of weeks on the Rip Ticket Show, um, there is a mystery film night on Monday. I know what it's going to be, and we will be reviewing the film, whatever it ends up being, um, on our next show. And I don't know whether it's going to be next week or the week after, so you will have to stay tuned to the Facebook and Twitter pages. We are on Facebook facebook.com forward slash the ripped ticket show twitter twitter.com forward slash ripped underscore ticket where you can find links to on demand versions of the show you can keep up to date what I'm, what I'm doing outside of the program uh, also you can find just cheeky plug of course you can find me on twitter at Lee Jack Smith um, I can actually reveal on our next show we will be reviewing the Lego Movie 2 and whatever the mystery film night ends up being in fact I actually might end up saying it now the mystery film night is Wild Rose for two months ahead of release, which is really lovely. So we'll be reviewing both of those films on our next show. Also, 
on our next programme, we will be going behind the scenes on a film, which is pretty cool. On Tuesday, I'm going to be joining the UCLan film production students on the set of their own take of The Haunting of Hill House. I'm very excited to head down and see what actual film production is like. I've been following them for the last four months for the blog as part of a wider project, and I have a feeling they might be listening right now, so hello, guys. Um... But I'll be joining them on set to witness actual film production, so I'm going to be able to give a very unique viewpoint into what it's like to actually get a film made from pre-production to the shoot to the edit. So that's quite an interesting little project that's going to be unfolding over the next couple of weeks. So yes, there is a lot to look forward to on the show over the next couple of weeks, and I am very excited to get on with that. Um, And it just feels good to be back behind the microphone. That's the important thing. So... I put a lot of thought into what our final song today is going to be. And after talking about this song in one of my lectures yesterday, I can't not play this song. And for me, it's one of my favourite songs of all time. And it was used very recently, actually. It was used very briefly in Robert Redford's last film, The Old Man and the Gun, in... uh, in a pretty nice scene when I heard it come on I was like oh they're using this now we've we've played a lot of kink stuff on this show before we've played Well Respected Man from Juno which it's a solid tune but it's not as well regarded as this absolute classic we're going to close with Lola by the Kinks brilliant song nice guitar riff too so my name's been Jack Smith. You, of course, have been listening to the Rip Ticket Show on Pugs Radio. We'll be back either next Friday or the Friday after that, but you'll be able to find out on social media exactly when that is. Until the next time we are together, we will see you at the movies. And if you haven't already been to the cinema this half-term, I humbly advise you, go down, because there is something for everyone. Even if you can't afford it, there, there are ways, there are discounts and Go and shop. Go and have a look. Have See, there is something for, for literally every taste over the next couple of weeks. But until our next show, we will see you at the movies. <laughs> That's just about it for this particular episode of the Rip Ticket Show. Join us next week for another visit into the archives. But until then, my name's been Jack Smith. This has been a little bonus episode of Talking Smith About Film. And until next week, we'll see you at the movies. (laughs) 